Welcome to the Early Bird Podcast Sessions. Stefan Maier with you at itsouls.com, the website. And um, today is Monday. And on Mondays, we share with you the uh, Sermon Sunday, the sermon I shared on Sunday over at the uh, East Coast or with the East Coast Church of Christ here in New Brunswick, Canada. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, reading verses 1 through, well, 1 and following, regarding the Beatitudes, which is why I titled the sermon, How We Should Be. Our behavior, how we should be, if we allow the Bible to instruct our minds to uh, our actions, right? That's what we want to do. That's what's going on. Please subscribe, follow, share, rumble, comment, all that kind of good stuff. Helps uh, the substance of the material we are sharing reach far and wide. Maybe there's other people out there just like you and me who want to uh, look into the greater things in life, the purpose of our existence on this earth. And certainly the... Um, Beatitudes, so commonly known as, is the cure to corruption. That's what Jesus spoke, the remedy to corruption, corruption in everything. To the context, the corruption that had taken place among the Jews, the Jewish nation, nation and their various groups and schools of thought, which were departures in various ways of motive and uh, insincerity uh, and all sorts of stuff that the uh, scriptures describe the religious leaders of the day and their loyalists and their groups, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, everything involved with the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the elders, the lawyers, um, all of them, uh, a great many of them, uh, in opposition, standing in opposition against Jesus. Jesus was genuine. They were not genuine. Jesus rebuked their dishonesty and their um, lack of sincerity, their lack of being genuine in Matthew chapter 6. These were guilty of a great many things, and they were uh, hardened of heart. They should have been seasoned properly. Their salt should have been with taste. It wasn't, and it was going to be trampled. In principle, of course, in the information we can receive through reading and understanding, we can uh, have practical practice in our lives today as Christians, following Jesus Christ. The cure to corruption is the Beatitudes how we should be, how we should be. And if this were applied everywhere, we'd live in a much better world, wouldn't we? Whether it be in the realm of government, academia, right? Public life, politics, politicians, neighbors. If we all, in all departments, all facets of human existence, would practice the Beatitudes we would certainly find ourselves in a peaceful environment and community where neighbors love each other, 
care for each other, where selflessness and a humble spirit is what is recognized and experienced. Sadly, what we do see more often than not is corruption. Corruption had made its way into Judaism, into the leadership. Corruption, of course, makes its way or had its way also in the government of the day under the rule of the Roman Empire. Corruption can contaminate even the closest of righteous quarters. For instance, there was corruption in the circle Jesus found himself with, whom he chose. A close friend was corrupted, was he not? Sadly, corruption has no prejudice. It has no thought to reluctantly step away from anyone. It will attack and it will seek to devour everyone. But there is a shield. There is protection. There is armor from God. And the Beatitudes certainly is a great deal on how we should practice our lives as Christians, which would, in its function, its defense, keep away corruption. Keep away corruption. Jesus was speaking these Beatitudes because he saw the corruption of his day all around him. He saw what had taken place and what was going on, and that the motives of these people were nefarious, sinister. They were agenda-driven. They were filled with envy and deceit, empty conceit, greed, all the things the scriptures rebuke against these religious leaders of the day. Religious leaders who were firmly convinced and sincere in their ways within their own misguided thoughts, they thought they were doing what was right according to God. Paul himself thought he was doing what was right according to God by getting rid of those pesky Christians, right? We can have brethren firmly convinced, their conscience clear. They think they're right and there ain't nothing you can tell them that's going to make them think otherwise. Now, they're either high-handedly rebellious and know what they're doing, or they're truly delusional to it. And it's sad, but it is a true recorded account of our existence among our own brethren, our own kind. And Jesus, walking among his own kind, knew they were corrupt. And so he wanted to teach the cure to corruption which is what we find in the Beatitudes. So we're going to go through the Beatitudes and look at the information therein and find ourselves learning together on how we can prevent corruption. Corruption is a masquerade. It can masquerade in many ways. It can masquerade itself as a, as a, a, a wonderful gospel work, when in reality it is an evil work. You see, we must be wise to the cost. I mean, look again at what Jesus would rebuke after chapter 5. In chapter 6 of Matthew, these people were not genuine. 
they were putting on an act. And today we have brethren behind the pulpit doing the same thing. The same thing. Inwardly they are ravenous wolves, divisive brethren. They'll cause all kinds of chaos, create all kinds of chaos, all kinds of sorrow, division. They'll create all kinds of lies. They are corrupt. They are corrupt, but they, in their sheep's clothing, will make a lot of people believe, believe otherwise. A lot of people think them to be righteous and upstanding and filled with integrity. Humble, humble gospel preachers, when in fact they really aren't. Only those of us who have been behind the curtain with these kinds know that. But God does as well, and as God is our witness on the day of judgment, these kinds will fall, and all will see their treachery. They were not genuine. They were not playing the part they were called to be playing. And so the cure to corruption, again, always goes back to the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. If we be as the attitudes so revealed from the Christ, there wouldn't be any corruption. There wouldn't be any corruption. Now, corruption's not going to disappear, and people aren't going to practice the Beatitudes. The gate is narrow for those who do. But those who do, with this strength, with this teaching, can be made to recognize the fruits of those who are corrupt. And we can shepherd the flock, and we can protect the flock from corrupt individuals. Some Corruption will seep in, climb in another way in the local congregation, corrupt its way into preeminence with its selfish ambitions, its envy, its pride, its strife, and corrupt the entire local congregation. And corruption will embolden corruption in the congregation. Members who have always been worldly, but have managed to suppress their corruption and you put a corrupt individual behind the pulpit, he will embolden their corruption, and together they will be corrupt. Jesus saw these things while he walked on this earth. My son said something quite wise the other day, um, a keen observation. My son said, a corrupt man will see corruption in everything and proceed to corrupt everything. And that's very true. That's very true. Um, look at the devil again. I, I use this account quite often because to the fact. Look at the devil when he was with Adam and Eve, and look at the devil when he was with Job and having an interaction with God. The devil is corrupt, and everything he sees is corrupt. God is corrupt in his eyes. Adam and Eve were corrupt in his eyes. Job was corrupt in his eyes. Everyone is corrupt, and everyone has corrupt motives. That's the devil. I'll tell you, it's a blessing for me and my family to be part of the East Coast Church of Christ, among people that we don't have to question their motives because we are not corrupt. It's such a peaceful, humble, united family. When there is no corruption in an assembly. And I'm not saying we're perfect. Far from it. Don't take words out of my mouth or make me say things I've not said. We are not perfect. 
there is always room to grow. We are not above rebuke. We always are humble to change, to repent, and produce fruits of repentance. We are human beings. We are Christians, and we are called to a higher standard of living. But we're not perfect, but we're not corrupt. Some brethren are corrupt. There's a big difference, and we must learn to discern. The wisdom of the scriptures will teach us that through the experience we live. But there is a discernment to be made between the brother or sister in Christ who's not perfect. And I speak that from the tone of the, uh, or the, um, the view of ourselves not being sinless, is what I'm saying. We are made perfect in Christ. The blood of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ makes us perfect, quote-unquote, to the Scriptures revealing. But that is not because we are found as individuals who have never sinned or without sin. John had a lot to say about that, didn't he? Whoever says he has no sin is a liar, makes God out to be a liar. We are not living in sin. See, that's what we're talking about when we say we're not perfect. We are made perfect in Christ, but we are not without sin. Our sins have been forgiven, but yet at times do we not stumble? Do we not fall into our temptation? Do we not perhaps lose our self-control and have thoughts we should not have or say words we should not be saying? Perhaps we have a difficulty controlling our emotions? Things happen, but if we walk in Christ faithfully, we remain saved, if you will, because the power of Christ keeps us saved within his body. So I just felt the need to explain that a bit when we say we're not perfect. But there's a difference in not being perfect and being corrupt. And Jesus addressed the corruption of the day with the healing agent, the source in which would... Um, cure the corruption, and that is the Beatitudes. I speak these things in introduction because we need the footing, we need the platform in which to understand the context we are launching into. Okay, and that's very important. It's very important indeed. If not, we might find ourselves lacking in one end or another. And corruption may start from the very low-hanging fruit, but because it climbs in from another way and is not transparent through the door, it does its activities behind closed doors, if you will, curtains. It will make its way to the eldership. It will make its way to the leadership, okay, the one behind the pulpit, the eldership, and things like that. And again, most, well, not most, perhaps many of us who have lived in the church for a long period of time have gone through these moments where we've seen corruption and uh, we've had to deal with uh, the fallout of corruption and how corruption can spin a, a web of all sorts of lies and make it very convincing, make it very uh, eloquent and convincing and cleverly devised, cleverly devised tales. Um, some of which many of our own brethren will not see the truth until the day of judgment. 
Many of these corrupt individuals also, they do firmly believe that what they are doing is righteous, that their divisive way is righteous divisiveness, and uh, that what they are doing is what the Bible teaches, and they are firmly convinced that they are uh, the bastions of pride for the Christ and doing what is right uh, in destroying families and local churches and things of that nature. Um, it's sad. It's just like the Pharisees of the day. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day were firmly convinced they were scholarly. They knew the law. They were firmly convinced that Jesus and his disciples uh, were the guilty party playing the victim and they needed to be removed. They needed to be extinguished. They needed to be uh, harshly persecuted. And again, if we would all just have a humble, submissive, loving heart towards each other, we would be found practicing the Beatitudes which in essence has everything to do about just everything about put God first in your life. And if you put Jesus first in your life, everything else kind of falls into place with loving your fellow man, your fellow neighbor. Okay. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into it. Uh, and uh, well, we've been into it. We're talking about it, aren't we? <laughs> okay. Well, in Matthew chapter five verses one and following it says and i quote when jesus saw the crowds he went up on the mountain number one jesus saw the crowds he recognized the opportunity to teach them do we do the same thing there are various categories that i uh, uh um, in my studies have been able to uh put into point form if you will into uh, departments uh of evangelistic efforts you know you have the very public evangelistic effort which i practice online which is the verbal hey repent of your sins jesus is returning one day and you want to be part of his kingdom you want to be faithful so repent the kingdom of heaven is here it's now the church is here you know that very broad very open very um direct preaching proclaimed publicly repent you know you have the then you have the personal, you know, the sit down, open Bible at the table, the very personal. And what's the difference? Well, the approach is different. Uh, you may need less salt in the soup when it goes for public evangelism. And you might need uh, more salt in the soup when it comes to personal evangelism compared to public evangelism. So you kind of have to be seasoned and experienced. And that comes with trial and error. But here's an example of sorts, uh, publicly so, we say quite loudly and we should expose this sin we say the sin of adultery or the sin of, of of fornication these things we say repent of that or you will be eternally punished but if you're sitting down with an individual personally you might not approach that with the same uh, tact the same uh force uh, perhaps you'd be a bit more um differently organized with the way you're going to have a study with an individual sitting before you who may be in adultery or uh, fornicating. Now, you don't shy away from what needs to be said, and you do not, uh, uh, what do you call that, compromise your faith. You still must tell the person you're sitting down with that, hey, listen, you know, adultery is a sin. It just, it has a different tone. And we see that with Jesus uh, also, when he was speaking things publicly and when he was speaking things uh, personally. Still the same message, still transparent, nothing different there. But again, anyways, that's a, that's something uh, I might uh, share again one day. I, I've shared it a few times. I had 
made bullet points to how evangelism works in its various categories. Anyways, so Jesus saw the crowds. The point is, do we see the crowds? Do we see, do we recognize the opportunity to teach the word of God to individuals or to proclaim the Christ to individuals, friends, neighbors, co-workers, family, you know? Though he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. So this, of course, is not just the Holy Spirit trying to find something to say. Uh, he is indeed revealing the fact of the culture that Jesus was going to teach. He is taking the position of one who is going to teach. And he most certainly opened his mouth, and words of life, words of instruction were going to be spoken. And he was saying to the crowds, to those involved, most immediate, his disciples, after his disciples, the Jews, after the Jews, the Gentiles, after the Gentile and Jewish world, all of us thousands of years later, right? The order of things and how it was revealed. And so he is saying to them, here's the cure to corruption. There is much corruption taking place, not only in government among the Gentiles, but also among the uh, the people, the, the Jews. And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I remember reading these words uh, and trying to make sense of them uh, a decade plus ago now, being like, what does he mean by poor? Does he mean an individual out there in the community who is needy, who is seeking for food or mon money or something? You know, uh, panhandlers at the corner light or stop sign. I mean, what what is this? You know, so you kind of have to take your time with it and make sense with it and rightly handle it, meaning don't make these verses contradict anything else in the Bible. It has to be well woven together, orchestrated uh, with the inspiration it was br breathed uh, with. So he says, blessed are the poor. Well, what does it mean to be blessed? Well, friends, it means those who are most joyful. You should be most joyful as a receiver of God's grace and blessings in relation to priority, seeking God and his church first above all else in life. Again, Matthew 6.33 would reveal that. Jesus rebukes the uh, masquerade of the religious leaders of the day, the corruption of the day in chapter 6, the, uh, the first sections, and then goes into of course, speaking to um, those who should seek for those who seek first uh, the kingdom. Well, blessed, most joyful receiver of God's grace and blessings in relation to priority, seeking God and His church first above all else in life. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, and poor in spirit, spirit, word, wind, spoken, one who crouches and begs in a good sense humble and devout sense for the riches of the kingdom. He's starving for spiritual nourishment and earnestly imploring for it. Such a person will receive the benefits of Christ and his kingdom. The word of God and all its glory shall be extended. Okay, it's important that we have, and everything that's going to be revealed in the Beatitudes is a, a, a progressive nature. If you are poor in spirit, it's going to lead you to understand something else in which the attitudes Christ reveals uh, will take place. So, to be poor in spirit, you've seen a genuine individual who is desperate for food. He will be bowed uh, in, in reverence, bowed in, in, in reverence. He is truly at the mercy of the lender, the individual who is giving, uh, whoever is before him. He 
he will do and say what is necessary. I mean, remember the woman, the Gentile woman who said even the crumbs that fall off the table, right? Well, the dogs will eat the crumbs. The dogs, they don't complain. They don't murmur about the crumbs that fall from the table. They're not going to say, hey, where's the steak? No, they will eat whatever falls from the table. Poor in spirit, in one's heart and one's word, the kingdom belongs to such as those. I mean, we inherit the Lord's church. We are members of the Lord's church. To be poor in spirit is one who is certainly humble to the fact of his or her reality in Christ. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To whom, that's, that's to whom the church belongs to, those who are poor of spirit. And again, I cannot brag on the East Coast Church of Christ enough. This assembly is just poor in spirit. It, it practices this, these beatitudes. But Jesus was not saying these things because they were practicing these things. He was saying these things because most were corrupt. And if they would just repent and follow these instructions, they too could become an assembly of individuals who don't have to question each other's motives. We know our motives are pure and sincere and righteous. So if you are poor in spirit and the kingdom belongs to such as these, well, when we mourn, when we find ourselves in deep sorrow, in moments of pain, whether it be persecution, loss of loved ones, and or diminishing health conditions, whether it be we go through very difficult moments brought upon by the hands of corrupt individuals, well, we'll receive the coming aid of God's providence coupled with members of his kingdom, producing comfort. If we are poor in spirit and recipients of our Lord's church, a faithful church, a church that is not corrupt, then our fellow members are going to comfort us in our most desperate times of sorrow and pain and, and weeping and lament. Um, for such a one shall receive the coming aid of God's providence. One who mourns in this context is comforted by Scripture. The knowledge within which brings about salvation, the church that brings about food and shelter and clothing and accurate preaching and teaching, those of the church, the teaching therein, made alive, active in the lives of those who obey. So you see how this moves forward? You see how this is so beautiful and so encouraging and uplifting for those of us who are not corrupt and for those who might seek a path out of corruption? Well, here it is, the Beatitudes. So one who is poor in spirit, found recipient of the Lord's church within the Lord's church when having to mourn will be comforted. And it comes by the hands of the gentle, of course. Those who will inherit land. Those who will inherit uh, uh, ancestry and lineage. You see how awesome this is, how Jesus reveals these things through his word. Most joyful, most joyful receiver of God's grace and blessings in relation to our priority in his gospel. When we are poor in spirit, when we mourn, the gentle, the gentle brethren who 
with delicate and tender words. Okay? Are joyful recipients and givers of this wonderful attitude. And God blesses one with land, nation, community, ancestry. Okay? That's powerful. That gives us hope. That gives us goals. The wealth we accumulate is heavenly. And that does not contradict the fact that we have been called to be good stewards of our physical existence for the Christ while on this earth. And so we have family. We have children. Children will may procreate and have other children, grandchildren for us, grandparents, and things of that nature. We will inherit land. We will have lineage. We will be blessed abundantly as gentle, humble servants in the kingdom we received being poor in spirit. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's pretty wonderful. I think that's pretty awesome. So that, of course, progresses in the teaching of the Christ among a corrupt context, a corrupt landscape he found himself in, speaking the cure to this corruption, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you are a recipient of the kingdom, a member, a faithful member of the Lord's church, the church Jesus built, you are poor in spirit. When you mourn, you will be comforted. When you, will, when you are gentle and humble, you will inherit land. And when you hunger and thirst for what is right, when you genuinely, sincerely seek the truth and discernment of any situation, you will find it. One who is starving and dehydrated will do all in his power to seek food and drink. One who realizes that he is starving and dehydrated for spiritual truth shall be stuffed, quote-unquote, as we so commonly say after a good warm meal. Oh, I'm stuffed. You mean you got no room for a slice of apple pie? Ice cream on top? Uh, I think I found some room. There's, a, there's room, right? You can always move forward in seeking truth to be filled. One whose mission is to learn everything that is right towards God's will will find it in the Bible, will find it in a faithful congregation. So you see how this takes place in the individual who is independent and accountable to God as members of the body together collectively. This church, a church that practices these behavioral instructions, these personalities to be constructed in the image of Christ, will indeed have these blessings, will indeed be members who are joyful receivers of God's grace. Why? Again, very simply so stated, we put God first. We put his kingdom first. We put others first above and beyond our own selves. And so those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will certainly be filled. When you want to discern the truth, it's there, but you have to seek it. A corrupt mind will not seek the truth. A corrupt mind will eagerly run towards a lie and want to remain with a lie and liars. That's how congregations get infected and they lose their light. So then we progress and the Christ says the merciful. Again, if we are poor in spirit, we are the recipients of the Lord's church, a beautiful 
location where all spiritual blessings are found. So when we mourn, when we find ourselves in moments in life that are very difficult to deal with, we will be comforted. Comforted by the humble, the gentle among us who inherit land and ancestry, family. And when we seek deeply so in a desperate way the truth, we hunger, we thirst for it, we will be filled, we will be satisfied. The word of God will remain active and grow within our hearts, for we find ourselves merciful, producing mercy, though we have the strength to be, uh, um, though we have the strength to, to be unrighteous, we don't utilize that strength for sinister reasons, for unrighteous reasons. We contain, we, we contain our strength in self-control and we uh, certainly give that mercy and we receive that mercy. That's important to see in the church. Merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they re will receive mercy. One who is long-suffering and patient with others shall receive the same from God. One who is quick to forgive when repentance takes place shall receive the same from God. One who is kind towards others shall receive the kindness of God. To be a recipient of kindness from God is very a useful tool to growing our faith. One who has power and strength under control when dealing with people shall receive the same from God. That's important, isn't it? We want to be that way. We want to practice these things. You see, the corrupt, they are not merciful. They're not gentle. They're not hungry and thirsty for what's right. They... In their own minds, their own pride, their own puffed up, obese thoughts, they, 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 you can't teach them anything. They know everything already. The religious leaders of the day Christ was walking were corrupt. They were not poor in spirit. They were not gentle. And sadly today, yet still, these kinds, they creep into the church. They take advantage of our hearts, our kind hearts. They take advantage of our friendships and they manipulate and they twist and they corrupt and they take control. And sadly, it's a reality Jesus had to deal with. And so we be wise to keep practicing the cure to corruption so that we too might not become corrupt. And mercy is definitely one of the uh, tools to utilize as faithful members of his church. Pure in heart. So that, of course, moves forward to the one who is a joyful recipient of God's grace. How so? Being pure in heart, they shall see God. One who is innocent, clean of heart, pure in his agenda and assumptions. Very transparent. Very transparent. One who is sincere, honest, genuine, and wholeheartedly invested into the gospel and all that it teaches shall receive forgiveness and purpose in the kingdom. Such a one shall see the attributes of God and his personhood. If I act like my father, I see my father within me. And therein lies the reality of how God in three persons dwell within the faithful Christian, right? When we look at each other, do we walk and talk like our master, Jesus Christ? If so, 
then he is within us and we are within him. But those who are corrupt and those who are corrupt today in elderships and behind pulpits, they don't reflect this purity. They don't. And sadly, it will cost them their eternal life, though you could not convince them of that while they walk on this earth. Pure in heart. That's an important, an important uh, tool to utilize to, in order to be faithful in Christ. And none of these attitudes, by the way, none of these beatitudes, as they are so commonly called, none of them uh, 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 facilitate, promote, or encourage faithful Christians to accept false teachings, wicked, evil practices, uh, or corruption. We must pray for our enemies. We must love our enemies. We must turn the other cheek. None of those things contradict the fact that the scriptures teach us we must not allow evil to contaminate our minds. We must not practice in wickedness. And though we pray for our enemies and we love our enemies, we don't facilitate our enemies' wickedness to destroy and conquer for the devil. Okay? We must understand that. All of these wonderful uh, uh, tools that must be utilized in order to fight corruption in no way make us cowards or are to make us cowards or, uh, again, uh, individuals who lose backbone and courage and strength in gospel truth. Not at all. Not at all. This is the way and manner and function we are to be with each other. Those who are corrupt and choose to remain corrupt are not going to practice these things, and we are not to uh, uh, allow them to contaminate us with their corruption. So let's not allow ourselves to contradict one verse against another, okay, when it comes to the Beatitudes here. Pure in heart, to be pure in heart. Sometimes because those of us who are pure of heart tend to think everyone's pure of heart. And that, that, that can be deceptive. I, I have several very deep regrets in my life to having allowed individuals whom I did my best to see uh, goodness where there was none. And these snakes came back to bite me these snakes came back to bite me. So we have to be careful, okay? Just because we are transparent and sincere in our faith. And though, again, that don't make us perfect. Some of us, most of us struggle with various sins and temptations, yet still we seek to be better, don't we? Okay. Well, we have to be careful, friends. Not everyone wants to practice the Beatitudes. And wolves in sheep's clothing they will masquerade a certain way, and it's very deceptive. But um, we have to be keen to recognize the difference between one who is truly practicing these things and one who is not. You know, we tend to think, and I've written this over at atitsouls.locals.com, I think. Um, you know, we tend to, to look at denominational leaders and say, look, wolves in sheep's clothing. Friends, listen, they aren't wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not masquerading as anything. 
they are exactly who they say they are. The Roman Catholic Pope is exactly who he says he is. He's the Roman Catholic Pope. Joel Olstein is exactly who Joel Olstein says he is. Okay? All of these denominational leaders are exactly who they say they are. They are denominational leaders. They don't need to wear sheep's clothing. A wolf in sheep's clothing is found climbing into the local assembly of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Okay? That's where he, the wolf, has to wear sheep's clothing. It's important we understand that. It's a deeper wisdom that, sadly, some of us only recognize once we've lived through it. So then the Beatitudes follows up with a peacemaker. Again, if we are poor in spirit, we're recipients of the Lord's church. When we mourn, we will be comforted by the gentle and humble actions of our brethren. And when we starve, when we are thirsty for what is right, it shall certainly be given to us. We will be satisfied through the minds and brethren who are merciful towards people, towards each other, and pure in heart, recognizing the gospel for what it is, really knowing who Jesus is. It's powerful. And then he continues and says the peacemakers. Well, the peacemakers are those who value unity. Very, very uh, uh, different than the corrupt. Corrupt gospel preachers, corrupt elders, they're not seeking unity. They don't want, they don't value unity. They are bullish and bullies of the diatrophic manner, the pharisaical worldview. They must create chaos where there is none. They must cause division. They are arrogant, very arrogant and prideful, uh, very boastful. They don't see the value in unity. That's why they divide and divide and divide. And they will keep doing that. They have a resume of division. And they, these corrupt individuals, can claim it's righteous division and it's because all these churches were in false teachings or all these churches that, that were uh, having problems with certain... They can, they can say that time and time again. <laughs> they won't be able to fool Jesus on the Day of Judgment. Okay. You know, if someone never has friends and always keeps losing friends, sometimes you have to start thinking the problem may not be the friends. Maybe the problem is the individual himself who's corrupt, who can't keep friends. Bullies can't keep friends. They always lose friends. I've seen them lose friends years and years and years. Like, that's what they do. They, they just cause wedges and friction and chaos and division. And that's what they're known for, these corrupt individuals. They were doing this in the age Christ was rebuking, and they do it today. They're not genuine. They're not real. They're not transparent. They solicit your funds while wearing sheep's clothing. But when you're behind the curtains with them, you know who they truly are. When you wake up to it, it may be too late, but at least you've woken up to it. Many of these individuals Jesus would speak to would come clean in their minds and say, whoa, here I was being a loyalist to a Pharisee. But this man, this man named Jesus, is speaking words of life about attitudes that I don't see in the Pharisees. So you see, the Pharisees are losing loyalists because 
the people are starting to recognize that whom they had been loyal to, these religious leaders, these gatekeepers, the key keepers, right? They're not, they're not pure. They're not poor. They're not gentle. They're not merciful. They're not pure. They're not peacekeepers. They portray themselves as such, outwardly so. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. They are corrupt. They don't want peace. So can we not understand how important it is, the instruction Jesus spoke about peacemakers? No wonder peacemakers shall be called sons of God. That's an important title. That's an important description, isn't it? It is a description we should all strive to have in the Lord's church. Sons of God, those who value unity as God would have us united, shall inherit the right to become family. Again, I see these things in the East Coast Church of Christ that I minister with and labor along with. Our elders practice this. Our members practice these things. And we have ourselves a beautiful, hopeful church plant in this mission field. And God will certainly bless us with growth because it's attractive to people. It's attractive to people out there seeing what is genuine and real. And peacemakers, well, that's an important part of the kingdom in the local assembly. And Jesus knew these things. He was preparing them for citizenry in his kingdom and how citizenry in his kingdom, legally so, what it would look like and what it practices. A brother may be in an argument with another brother. You step in and properly translate the argument so as to have both of them understand each other, shake hands, and become friends again. You are a peacemaker. You value tranquility among Christians. At times, this is only achieved once sin has been repented from the guilty parties involved. But it is the act of keeping the peace, okay? Keeping the peace. That's important. That is greatly practiced when moments of discipline come in. But corrupt individuals in the church with a heart filled with corruption they will utilize certain things to their own selfish agenda to fulfill their own ambition, their own greed, their own lust for their own power and control over everyone around them. These are not peacemakers. These are not peacemakers. If you've been in the church long enough and you can't understand this language, I'm afraid you're idle. I'm afraid you're idle. You're not, you're not growing as you should. Now in the next section, of course, he speaks about persecution. Most joyful recipients of God's grace are those who are persecuted. Why? Well, for the sake of righteousness. That's why. For the sake of righteousness. For doing what's right, you are being persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, we are recipients of the Lord's bride. He purchased us with his own blood. What a blessing it is indeed to be recipient of a faithful church that is not corrupt. That's the beauty of our Lord's mind, to make his local congregations autonomous. So when one becomes infected with corruption, where you no longer find the heart of this, these attitudes, 
You don't need to participate in that anymore. You don't need to be associated with those anymore who are corrupt. Persecution takes place, doesn't it? Of course. When you separate yourselves from corrupt individuals, there is persecution. They will slander you. They will speak all manners of lies against you, all manners of evil against you. Well, the scriptures here, from the word of Jesus Christ, in a corrupt generation, with corrupt religious leaders, is speaking of one who is most joyful recipient of his grace. Because we are persecuted for doing what's right, for standing for what's right. So when you stand for the truth and everything in it, when you righteously judge, John 7, 24, righteously discern, Philippians 1, 10, and righteously divide, Luke 12, 51, most among us will pers persecute. They will. Those corrupt among us will persecute us. And to persecute is to aggressively chase and drive off, to make the faithful run or flee, put to flight, drive away, Hence, to do whatever it takes to harass and to trouble. I, me and my family know, know very well what kind of persecution that is. To be ran out of town, to be run out of the local assembly, to be chased off because we did not want to participate anymore in corruption, in what is not in line with the Beatitudes, among brethren who should know better, who have been in the church long enough to have let go their pride and all their hate and all their vindictive and 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 um, bitterness and and their envy and all that kind of stuff. Persecution, it's aggressive. It's passive aggressive at times too. It'll masquerade itself as the victim while it is beating you up behind the curtains. It defames. It tries to damage the faithful's good reputation. It really does. Uh, look at what they tried to make Jesus out to be. They tried to make Jesus out to be the devil himself, a deceiver, right? A blasphemer. Now, was Jesus any of those things? Well, of course not. They were just trying to defame his reputation, his integrity. And the same wolves do the same thing today. You can put 10, 20 years of ministry and love in a work and the corrupt individuals will try to say that you were the guilty party or that you are at fault or that you are a deceiver or a liar or a, divis or a divisive individual. They, they will project their own practices and guilt upon the innocent, defame. They try to damage the faithful's reputation. It falls short on the ears of those who are pure, of course, who can discern right from wrong. There is also reproach, false accusations, blaming, bringing shame or disgrace upon the faithful. That takes place all the time. They were trying to make Jesus out to be a thief. Was Jesus a thief? Why do they need to do this? Because they're <laughs> their reasons are motivated by corruption. Baseless accusations, no evidence to the fact creating in themselves false witnesses from corrupt individuals already in the local assembly who were corrupt already with obnoxious, bullish ways. Persecution comes in the way of reviling, reviling to administers, one who administers destructive criticism towards the faithful. 
You see, the persecutor will try his his best to have the faithful leave the location in which he is controlling. In other words, like the Pharisees tried to do with Christ and his apostles out of the city and temples. It's the same thing. And what are we told? What does Jesus say to those who are poor and gentle and merciful and pure, seeking all things righteous? Well, we rejoice. We experience God's grace. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the, for the name. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. I just quoted it. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. We must be glad, jumping in celebration, making glorious, uh, having glorious emotional, uh, um, what should I say, to exult, if you will, to make glorious, to jump in celebration. Because our reward, our pay, our wages, our salary is in heaven. It's in the heavenly realm. So we need to take courage because the faithful, the faithful among us, we understand these things. And we need to take courage because the faithful before us were persecuted in the same way. We are not alone in the spiritual fight. Okay, our own brethren, our own family members, brothers and sisters in Christ who are corrupt, not practicing these beatitudes. Okay, we need to be strong against them. As Paul would tell his brethren in Philippi, you know, don't be dismayed by these opponents. Keep moving forward. This, of course, section, the attitudes, is how we should be as members of the church of Christ, the church that belongs to Jesus. If we practice these things of a good, sincere heart, then we will truly be the recipients of God's grace and blessing. And it will make us, it will have us operational and productive as instruments to share the good news of Jesus Christ to a dying world. And that's where it goes into the whole salt of the earth and light of the world section of our Lord's teaching. And we're not going to have time to get into that, but please keep in mind, we must practice these things and we must be able to discern those who don't among us and to remove and withdraw ourselves from corrupt individuals corrupt individuals they're going to cause problems we don't want to we don't want that contamination we want to practice what our master has taught us and we want to be effective for his purpose all of this will matter a great deal on the day the sky opens and the trumpets sound it will most certainly and it will keep us tender keep us humble and merciful right keep us with true agape love for one another true agape love for one another. A blessing to be able to speak to you. God's allowed me another day of life among the living. Many people in the community bump in. I say, hey, how's it going? They say, how's it going? Great. How are you doing? Oh, you know, still among the living. They always chuckle. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. Just made you think about life and death there in a quick, with a quick greeting, didn't I? Well, 
it's been a blessing, you know, and it's been good work here. So please, if you are a member of the Lord's Church and you appreciate uh, the Added Souls ministry, uh, consider supporting it. Consider supporting our mission, our church plant on the East Coast Church of Christ over here in New Brunswick, Canada. It is our new work. It's been our new work since May 8th, 2022. We are a good, strong congregation, a faithful congregation, a humble congregation, and we're seeking to grow. We want to purchase some land and purchase a uh, or build a, a very modest location for the church to have influence in a, in, in, in a part of or area of the province where there is no church Christ. So that's what we're about, and it's a, it's a good thing. So you can do that by signing up at addedsouls.locals.com. You can choose to support there. No amount is too small. No amount is too big. And uh, you'll be the you, you'll be able to have exclusive content there that I produce. That's where I quote unquote build tents, if you will. Uh, there's always the PayPal option for now. Email address addedsouls at gmail.com. And if you need an address, you just reach out to me and contact me and I'll give you an address. This, of course, to all those of you out there, faithful brethren in Christ. If uh, you're not, but you're interested in studying with us or knowing a bit more about our work, uh, reach out to us. be more than happy to talk to you. be more than happy to talk to you and have a sit down. Do what we got to do. Is that all right? Subscribe, follow, like, comment. Rumble, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, let me see. Am I remembering everything? I don't know. Lord willing, we'll be together again tomorrow. Check out the show notes for the itinerary if you're wondering what's going on each day of the week and what we talk about and how we talk about it. Uh, check that out. It's in the show notes. And uh, be sure to check out our website. There's addedsouls.com. There is the East Coast Church of Christ.com. And uh, we have Facebook pages as well, so you can check us out there. That good? Stay focused. Stay positive. Lord willing, tomorrow we see each other again. Peace out.